Okay, we will get to all the latest on Ukraine, of course, coming up. But first, I want to get to some other news of the day. Most Americans are addicted to their smartphone. Now, obviously, that comes as no surprise. We know it, but now it's been confirmed by a new poll. Most Americans, 6 out of 10, cannot manage to get through one day without their smartphone. That's pretty frightening. We'll tell you more details coming up. Bombshell story, the CDC has been hiding COVID data, a wealth of COVID data, a treasure trove of COVID data that could be so incredibly useful to doctors, to health professionals, to all of us. But the CDC has been burying it, kept it a secret, kept it to themselves, as they, as all these political agencies do. Uh, this valuable data literally could help doctors make decisions on how to treat COVID patients, and yet... The men of science, the, the the people of science, the CDC, has been burying it. And what's amazing is I've been complaining forever, uh, for literally over a year, about how inexcusable it is that the CDC and the government doesn't even have basic data about COVID. I'm talking about things like natural immunity, with Fa- which Fauci, we still don't have enough data on natural immunity. Well, what have you been doing for all these years? Uh, you know, two years now, and Fauci doesn't have basic data on natural immunity. It's inexcusable. And how much do the vaccines really prevent the spread of the virus? How do vaccines impact different age brackets? How do underlying conditions impact COVID? What is the death rate, the real death rate for people under 50 years old? And they should know by now every permutation somebody gets into the hospital, they should be able to crunch the data and figure out exactly, you know, what they can expect, statistically speaking, So I've been upset and outraged and how they don't have the data. Now it turns out it's even worse. They have the data, but they refuse to share it. Uh, And and, and literally, I mean, even with the medical establishment, for well over a year, we now know the New York Times reports the CDC has been gathering information on people hospitalized with COVID and has broken down the ADA by age, race, and vaccine status, yet they have kept it a secret. Um, The CDC actually published data on the effectiveness of boosters, but they actually left out. They did publish some data on the effectiveness of boosters, the efficacy. However, guess what they left out? They left out the data for the age group of 18 to 49 years old, which is a crucial, crucial age group, obviously, and one that a lot of people feel don't require the vaccine because they're low risk. But that data was not included when the CDC published data on the efficacy of boosters. That group, it just so happens, and I'm quoting the New York Times here, is the one that's least likely to benefit from a booster shot. So uh, unbelievable that unbelievable that the CDC put the two put put the math do the math here put two and two together. Why do they leave out vaccine data um, for the age bracket of eighteen to forty nine years old? Uh, which, by the way, that age bracket is likely to not benefit. It's the least likely to benefit from a booster shot, which means if they put out that data, it's very likely, we don't know because we don't know the data, but it's very probable that that data would suggest that ages 18 to 49 years old should not get a booster. Well, let's do the math here. Now, is there a medical reason that they have not released this data? Is there a scientific reason? They actually were asked, you know, withholding the data, doctors had to rely on information out of Israel to determine whether younger patients should receive a booster shot. I mean, it's it's disgraceful. And, uh, you know, th- th- this could have been so helpful to public health. So why did the CDC hide the data? Well, a spokeswoman for the CDC said, quote, 
because basically at the end of the day, it's not yet ready for prime time. Uh, there's a direct quote, CDC spokeswoman. Why did you hide the data? Quote, because basically at the end of the day, it is not yet ready for prime time, end quote. I mean, it's, it's egregious. They decide it's not ready for prime time, whatever their ridic- ridiculous agenda is. It, it, it completely, completely flies in the face of the science that they claim to, def- to defend and that they, cl- they claim to represent. I mean, remember, Fauci, if you attack me... You're attacking science itself. He said it more than once. Welcome to the Yaakov M. Show right here on the VIN News Podcast Network and on Nucky Radio. Send us an email. You could send me an email. I try to read every email. I respond sometimes. Josh at joshmshow.com. J-O-S-H, Josh at joshmshow.com. That's the email address. President Biden has done as he pledged. He has chosen a black woman for his new Supreme Court nominee. Wouldn't you think he he, ha, he would have learned by now the last time he pledged a black woman before he even knew what the pool looked like and just basically disqualified most people. It was for vice president, for VP, for running mate. He pledged a black woman and he was stuck with Kamala Harris and she has turned into a total disaster. And what what lesson did Biden pick up from there? Let's let's try this. Let's try that approach again. So, of course, after he pledged, he'd only pick a, pick a black woman. He picked this Katanji Jackson Brown, and but she's the most qualified. She don't worry, she is the most qualified. He he did not pick her based on her race and well, he said he picked her based on her race and her gender. So obviously he did, but she just coincidentally happens to be the most qualified. He instantly when he announced that he is he is pledging only to choose a black woman, he instantly rejected like what ninety five percent of potential candidates. For the Supreme Court. But you know what's funny? We're the racists. Trump is the racist. Republicans are the racists. Conservatives are the racists. I mean, he's, he's literally making choice. I don't even care what the skin color is. Imagine if you had nine. I wrote an op-ed about this. Imagine if you had on, on, on Vin News. Imagine if you had nine Clarence Thomases on the Supreme Court, nine blacks on the Supreme Court. Would I have a problem with no diversity? Where's the diversity? I would have no problem with that whatsoever. I'm sure that Biden would not be happy. Well, he's right, he's the right skin color. Imagine if there were nine Hispanics on the Supreme Court. Or by the way, imagine if the nine most qualified people in the country to be on the Supreme Court were nine white males. Then you put nine white males because it's a very important job and you don't choose it. I don't even know or care what the skin color. We shouldn't even know. They should like hide. They should show Biden like the track record of all these judges. Don't say if it's a male or female. Don't say if they are a uh, black or white. And literally, let's choose it purely based on merit, purely based on track record. I mean, how many black female federal judges are there in the country, period? I mean, I'm sure there's a decent amount, but like how many could there be already? Can you imagine a football team? Imagine if a football team announced we're not accepting any white players. And and look, I know that the majority of football players are black and that's that's fine. You know, pick the best athlete. But there's a lot of good white players out there. There are great white quarterbacks out there. Imagine if the football team just said, you know what, we're only going to choose based on skin color. How absurd that would be. Or any sporting team, right? Sports, the whole concept of sports is it goes by merit. So it would be like, imagine if they announced like no more black players in football. I mean, these, you know, are on one specific team, right? That team would lose every time. So like, uh, obviously, you know, in sports it would be absurd, but like when it's on the court, like there's no winning or losing, right? I mean, you, your side can win or lose, but you, you, like the one specific justice can't like actually win or lose. It's not like athletics. So uh literally Biden, I mean, it, it's just incredible. He chose Kamala Harris. I mean, she's 
a total nightmare. I mean, she's actually her poll numbers are actually lower than Biden's himself. And by the way, this uh, Jackson Brown, uh, he she has a very thin track record in general, according to the Wall Street Journal. So we don't really even know her qualification. Obviously, she's super liberal, so I'm not going to be happy with her either way. But that's not even the point here. Even by by Biden's own standards, we, we don't have enough of a track record. All right. Speaking of Joe Biden, speaking of his approval numbers, they have hit a new low again. I mean, we go through this every couple of weeks. And just when you thought it can't get any lower, Biden's poll numbers literally have hit a new low, a record low of 38 percent. This is according to 38 percent. That's pretty bad. This is according to a new and he's losing independents and he's losing Democrats. This is according to a new Harvard Harris poll. Biden's approval rating, excuse me, hits a new low of 38 percent. And Biden is actually probably relieved that Putin has invaded Ukraine and is distracting from the abysmal failure that is the Biden presidency. And it gets even worse because most Americans say that Biden's first year in office was a failure. Now, is that a surprise? The only surprise here is that there there is a chunk of Americans, chunk of voters who actually think that somehow inexplicably that Biden's first year was a success. But this is an NPR poll. This is actually an NPR PBS poll. So that's a liberal leaning poll uh, that found that 56 percent of respondents say Biden's first year in office is it was a failure. That's 56 percent say Biden's first year was a failure. Again, why it's not like 98 percent is beyond me. You know, some people get brainwashed by the media, I suppose. But 56 uh, percent, that's a disaster for Biden. Thirty nine percent said it was a success. And if that's what NPR is reporting, then you would have to believe that the actual number of people who believe it's a failure is much higher. In addition, 54 percent say that he is not fulfilling his campaign promises. Fifty two percent say that he has done more to divide the country than united. And that, to me, is really the most damaging is that number is 52 percent of the country Uh, According to NPR, Biden has done more to divide the country than to unite. Remember, that was his big mantra. That was the big Biden. His big battle cry was that Trump is a divider and Biden is a uniter. And it turns out I don't remember a president as divisive as Biden. Obama came close, but Biden has been as divisive. Everything's about race. Remember, I mean, if you if you don't vote for Joe Biden, then you ain't black. And I mean, he blasts Trump every chance he gets. He blasts Republicans, he's obsessed with race and he makes everything about race. And I'm sure that there's a lot of blacks who resent that, even if they don't admit it publicly. He, he, Biden refuses to cooperate with Republicans on most major legislation. He can't even get his own the Democrats in line with him. He couldn't even get Joe Manchin on board with like with like his signature legislation, thankfully. And Biden, he's even he snaps at reporters. He's he's he can be nasty and sarcastic when it comes to how he treats reporters. So, I mean, this is just, he's not somebody, he's not a uniter for sure. And, you know, he's not even somebody who presents as like a decent person, if you ask me. Yeah, he smiles and his tweets are very bland and and, and, and polite and courteous and not like Trump, who actually used to actually, you know, his tweets were actually enjoyable to read and fun to read. And yes, he would like fire people via tweet. I mean, didn't like, didn't he fire Rex Tillerson? Basically, by tweet Trump, I mean, uh, you know, he was a guy who would just blast like his own his, you know, his own White House staffers in a tweet, which I personally I enjoyed. I mean, is it the most professional polished? I don't know. But we don't get any of that out of Biden. But Biden is extremely divisive and the public knows it. 
Um, all right, Ukraine. Time to get to Ukraine, obviously. So the Ukrainians are putting up a fight. Number one, the Russians. This has been a bloodbath for Russian troops. And look, I don't see this ending well for the Ukrainians. I know the Russians are battered and bruised. I know that the Russians have been pummeled. I mean, have been really crushed and decimated in a lot of ways. But I still believe they have so much firepower and Putin, he needs to, to, to finish this job. I mean, Putin, failure is not an option. And, and the Russians have an awful lot of, you know, firepower, artillery and troops to still send in. So uh, even though the Ukrainians are doing a phenomenal job of resisting, I'm still very frightened about how this turns out. But the Ukrainians have been nothing short of heroic, led by President Zelensky, who like is the new world hero. And, um, According to reports, and we keep hearing of these reports, thousands of Russian troops have already been killed and more keep happening. So there are reports that up to 5,000 Russian troops have already been killed, which is a massive, massive number. You're talking that is devastating to the Russians and, by the way, to morale, because you got to believe the Russian citizens, as much as Putin and Russia are going to uh, try to hide that news and you know try to not let it spread and censor it out, you can't really keep those things a secret in this day and age with social media, even in Russia. And and not to mention, as we'll get to, the sanctions have been crushing uh, the Russian economy. So the Russians are really reeling over here. 5,000 Russian troops killed. I mean, even if the, the actual number is two-thirds of that, it's still an extremely high number. But as I said, the Russians, I mean, they have a ton of firepower. They, you know, they are literally, they just keep sending in more and more troops, more and more convoys, more and more supplies and artillery. And they're evil. The Russians are so evil. They're committing war crimes. They are attacking civilian residential buildings. They are murdering women and children and innocent civilians. Uh, they've, they've been using, it seems, thermobaric vacuum bombs. And that's a bomb that basically sucks in the oxygen from all around. So it's like this massive, massive explosion. They've been using cluster bombs. Cluster bombs is when they're like one bomb turns into like a bunch of releases, like a bunch of little bombs and, and, and it spreads throughout the area of a, up to, up, up to the area of a football field. And now they have a massive convoy invading Kiev or Kiev as they call it. They've sent hundreds. You know that the Russians have sent hundreds of mercenaries over the past few weeks to try to assassinate President Zelensky. So, like, they're really unstoppable. And now they're closing off the borders to Kiev. So the Russians are really, really, you know, getting ready to invade Kiev. And you'd have to think that they could possibly look. They've been very slow. They've had a terrible strategy, as we've laid out. The Russians have they have mostly failed and they have done a terrible, terrible job strategically they could have done a much better job at, like, taking control of some of the big cities and of the airspace. They have not. They, they've done a terrible job of restocking on supplies, on fuel and food and water. But at the same time, you know, they, they're just so massive. They're just, they're, they're just so big and so powerful. So that's what's frightening. Uh, you know, so you'd have to think that maybe they're unstoppable. Maybe it's only a matter of days here until they take control of Kiev. Meanwhile... You know, Biden waited way too long to impose the sanctions. And even now, the sanctions are still way too weak. Look, the Russians are getting crushed. The economy is getting crushed. But the sanctions, they could have done it so much. They could have done it much earlier. And uh, who knows? That could have prevented Putin from ever invading. And they could still come on much stronger. Do you know that the, the sanctions still do not include the sale of oil and natural gas? So can you believe it? I mean, it's insane. I'm going to read you a quote here from an excerpt from Breitbart website of that the insanity of it all that like Putin is like 
the world's biggest enemy. I mean, he's a madman. He is the he is pure evil. The entire world, even Switzerland, is sanctioning Putin. Switzerland, they always stay neutral. So uh, things are happening, stunning things we've never seen before. And the whole world's coming down hot on Putin, but we're still buying his oil. We're still buying his natural gas. We're literally right now buying oil and gas from Russia, even though, like, they're evil. Like, could you imagine buying oil and natural gas from your arch enemy? I mean, can you imagine buying it from North Korea? Let me read you a quote here. Think about the madness of this. Joe Biden is running around trying to look tough, hitting Russia with sanctions. And at the same time, we pay Russia about $70 million per day for oil imports. $70 million per day. In other words, during these seven days of Putin's criminal war against Ukraine, we've sent this Putin, the same Putin, uh, during the same seven days, nearly half a billion dollars. On the one hand, Biden claims to be crippling Vladimir with sanctions. On the other hand, we're slipping him $70 million per day. This is nuts but true. And by the way, the war has caused oil prices to spike. So Putin is actually making even more money off of this war. So here's the question. What is going to happen? How is this all going to play out? Nobody knows for sure. But I don't believe Putin can give up. I mean, it's not just his political career, but it could be his it could be his life. It could be the end of his life. He's in Russia. Right. And he's surrounded by a bunch of people like him, these oligarchs, these KGB agents who like just want to overthrow him, but they're just too afraid. So the the minute that, that he is perceived as being a failure and being a loser, he could be overthrown. He could be executed. He could literally be executed. Uh, you know, they only don't do it because they're afraid that there'll be retaliation. But the minute that, like, he, he, he his value is in the tank, he literally, you know, they could just completely, completely overthrow the man and, and worse. So he needs to win. He's fighting for his life. Um, so I, I just don't believe that he's going to give up. I think he's just going to keep on doing this and he's going to hope that eventually there's either a ceasefire, they will eliminate sanctions, or, you know, they'll negotiate something. Or if he takes over Ukraine, he could actually benefit a lot financially from controlling the resources in Ukraine. By the way, you know that Biden, even after the sanctions, Biden is actually tougher on American oil companies than on Russian oil companies. Now, here's the question. Did the Russians underestimate the world response. In other words, the sanctions are have been crippling to Russia, which is good. Again, I don't think it's enough. It's 80% of Russia's banks that have been sanctioned, not 100%. Putin controls 100%, so he's still got 20% to, to play with, to do financial transactions, etc. But they've done an awful lot of damage. Now, again, I, I think it's surmountable. I, you know, Iran was crippled by sanctions, and, you know, they managed to survive, you know. So that's how this stuff works. But it is pretty amazing. The question is now, now did Putin underestimate um, that how the world – and by the way, the ruble, the ruble has tanked. Uh, the ruble is worth less than a penny, which means that all that Russian money is now worth much less than it was worth a week ago. But I don't know that Putin underestimated the world's response. He may have known that they were going to crush him with sanctions, but it may have been a calculated risk because of the financial benefits of invading Ukraine. So, yes, the Russian economy is crumbling, but I don't think that's going to deter him. Here's how I predict that this is all going to end, and I I hope that I'm wrong. I hope that the the Ukrainians can resist. I hope that the Ukrainians kick Russia out or they negotiate some kind of ceasefire and Russia retreats. Oh, that would be phenomenal. I hope that Zelensky stays in power. But I'm frightened at this point that Russia is very close to capturing Kiev. Then the next day or two, Kiev gets uh, captured by the Russians. Now, in best-case scenario... There will be peace talks. The Russians will 
maybe even concede control of Kiev in return for annexing half of Ukraine. Again, if the Russians can take control of Kiev, they might turn around and say, look, you know, because, again, they've been they have been decimated. Right. So the Russians might say, listen, enough is enough. We've got to stop the fighting. We'll give you back Kiev. But we want to annex the eastern half of Ukraine. And at that point, sanctions will be lifted. Now, if that happens, the Russians win big. I know that there's a lot of sanctions. I know that the Russian economy is tanking. I know that they've lost a lot of troops. But if the Russians end off end up negotiating and taking annexing a nice big chunk of Ukraine, they've won big. And I'm sorry, but that it is a total failure on the part of Biden. If anything happens other than the Russians retreating, Biden failed miserably because they're telling Zelensky to get out and they refuse to impose sanctions for all these months we've been begging. We've been talking about this for months and we've seen the buildup and we've been begging Biden to do more to deter um, Putin. And they should have loaded up. Ukraine should have had enough firepower to destroy 10 Russias. You know, and they just load them up with weapons because they're going to fight your proxy war for you. I mean, look, we gave the Taliban billions of dollars of weapons, right? I know that was inadvertent, but we allowed it to happen. That was the calculation that was made. I think it was a terrible idea. But you, giving the, the weapons to Ukraine, that, that would have been a phenomenal. That would have been a great move. But Biden didn't do it. So if anything happens other than the Russians retreating and, uh, you know, basically admitting that they failed and begging for mercy, then that's a huge loss for Biden and a huge loss for the for the pitiful Western hemisphere, you know, Western world, NATO countries, because they refused to sanction Putin. They refused to, you know, they tiptoed around him. They refused to actually try to fight him and resist him. Now, the other option is Russia might keep the entire country, but then you'd have to think that the sanctions, and again, look, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that the Ukrainians resist and kick the Russians out of there, but I just don't see it happening. I don't see the Russians giving up anytime soon. So the, the battle continues. If the Russians manage to, 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 to take Ukraine, and it doesn't look like they're going to do that anytime soon, but they may, you know, uh, just keep fighting and fighting until, uh, they, you know, they finally, after weeks, take control. I don't know. But then you'd have to think the sanctions stay in place. But then Russia, you know, they may gain a lot by having Ukraine, by having all the oil, you know, oil reserves and everything else in Ukraine to export. And um, maybe at that point, Putin threatens to invade another country to invade the Baltics, even though you'd have to think that would be a little bit insane of him after this experience to keep invading. But you never know. And that could cause the sanctions to be lifted. So I give the world credit. But they should have done it way too, way, way sooner in terms of the sanctions. And uh, as I said, Ukraine just should have been. Now they're sending Ukraine javelins. They're sending Ukraine anti-tank missiles and anti-aircraft missiles, and you know everything else. But uh, that, that should have been happening for all these all these months. All right, now President Trump has been has come under fire. A lot of a lot of leftists have been attacking Trump because they think that Trump somehow. Uh, praised Vladimir Putin. They think that Trump actually supports Vladimir Putin. And Trump never said any such thing. And it, it's just, it's honestly, it's absurd and it's disingenuous that uh, Trump is getting blasted by a lot of Democrats who claim, oh, Trump is supporting Putin. You know, again, with the Trump with colluding with Russia, Trump being a supporter of Putin. Trump despises Putin. He has made that clear again and again. He was much tougher against Putin than Biden, much tougher. Trump, Putin never would have tried anything like this under Trump. In fact, he didn't. So we have the proof. And, 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 and Trump kept sending arms to Ukraine. Obama refused to send a lot of weapons to Ukraine. Trump said, of course, we're going to reinforce Ukraine that way. And that really deterred Putin. But uh, so, so Trump's been very tough on Putin. All Trump said was that Putin's smart. He basically said Putin is smart and Biden is dumb. And he believes it. And you can make a good case for that. But being smart doesn't mean that Trump 
supports him or that Trump is condoning him um, or, or that Trump somehow is defending Putin or or, or, or supports uh, Putin's war on Ukraine. You could be a monster but still be smart. You know, and, and in that same speech at CPAC, Trump used every possible scathing criticism on Putin and talked about how horrific this war is and this invasion is of Ukraine. But he just happens to think that Putin is intelligent. So it's it's really, really, uh, you know, very unfair and uh, very disingenuous and cruel and mean-spirited, if you ask me, of the media and the Democrats to bash Trump and twist his words around and make it sound like somehow he supports Putin. All right, we're up to 31 Democrats, House Democrats who are retiring and still possibly more to come uh, this coming November or next January. So that means that this coming November, at least 31 Democrats will not be running for re-election in the House. That is huge. They know they don't have a chance. And uh, we are looking at a potential bloodbath here in November. The Republicans could take control of the House by huge numbers. The IRGC, the uh, Iranian Revolutionary Guard, they are uh, insisting that uh, they will only rejoin, that Iran will only rejoin the nuclear deal if the United States removes the terrorist label from the IRGC. And Israel is urging Biden not to do this. The, Iran is, is saying, if you want us to rejoin the nuclear deal, which Biden is begging them to do, which makes no sense, they're saying, well, you have to take off the terrorist label from the IRGC, um, the, 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 the Iranian Revolutionary Command. And um, the IRGC, I mean, we're talking about perhaps the largest terrorist group on the planet. And do you know that they were only labeled a terrorist group, I believe, in 2019, by Trump, what like what was everybody waiting for? What was Obama waiting for for all those years? Why didn't Bush label the IRGC a terrorist group? I have no idea. But now they're demanding that that label be removed. And that label, obviously, in addition to the statement that it makes, it also has a lot of financial repercussions. Um, more migrants were released into the U.S. last month than were deported in all of 2021. This is outrageous. Um, more migrants released in January into the United States, then were deported from the entire country in all of 2021. So that, in a nutshell, tells you about Biden's pitiful border policies and Afghan refugees. We've told you about this. Afghan refugees, people come, refugees coming in from Afghanistan, when it, when it was evacuated, right, when the, the pullout happened, there was no vetting. There was no vetting done. They just loaded these people onto airplanes. We have no idea if they're terrorists or not. Well, here are the numbers. More than 74,000 Afghanis have been resettled in small towns and cities throughout the United States. How terrifying is that? Um, More than 76,000 Afghanis in total were brought to the United States, and top homeland officials admitted that minimal vetting procedures were conducted. 74,000 have now been assimilated and incorporated into small towns and cities throughout the United States. So who knows? Who knows how many of those are perhaps members of the Taliban or Al-Qaeda. That's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.